Hey, everybody. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the last week of June 2023. I am here with Gigi Hawkins. Hey there. And I am here with Jason Hellerman. Hello. And we're here with a very special Ask No Film School episode. How do you sell a TV show? Gigi, you want to kick us off? Yes. Well, obviously, we are in the middle of the strike. Hopefully, by the time we're recording it, it's over. But I don't think that will be the case. <laughs> but we are in, we are talking a lot about the process of making television, but I don't think there's too much visibility into how a TV show is made or sold. On top of this, I was catching up with the creators of a TV show that has already aired in Israel, and that was at Sundance called Hanshi. And they are in the process of selling the show. And we'll be actually hearing from the creators of this show and the entire team from my Sundance interview later this week. But talking to them and how they have this show that's already in the can and is fantastic. And they are in the process of shopping it around to run here in the US. I was like, oh, this would be such an interesting topic and such a relevant topic to emerging filmmakers since TV is just... There's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. So so I guess, I mean, I, I'm happy to speak to my limited experience developing a pilot, taking it out to pitch and what that process was like. But we also have the benefit of Jason Hellerman, who has worked on and been in a writer's room and been in a part of the journey of selling this show that I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, Jason, but um, I, can, I can talk in generalized things. So I, I can talk about a project that I sold as an if come to Sony in 2019 too. That was a TV show. Can, so I'll kind of give you, you define an if come. Sure. So in TV, it's, it, it's a little like more complicated. Hilariously, it's like one of the things we're striking on now that I, you know, like it would be nice not to have these deals, but basically the idea is when I sold this idea to Sony, I sold it with my, friend I was writing it with named Tommy Jonigan. And basically, NFCOM is Sony being like, we'll pay you for writing this uh, pilot and the TV show if we get a network to buy it. So it's like prices are determined with like, if a streamer buys it, we'll give you this much money. If a network show buys it, we'll give you this much money. And then also like, there's these interesting smaller channels, like let's say like Freebie on, which is like used to be IMDb TV, but like that's not really streamer, a big streamer or network. So then there's like another tier for that. So it's sort of based on that idea. And then the idea was like, we would, we developed, we had written a spec pilot. They had attached to it. I can go more into detail of this later. And then the idea is like, okay, if we sell this, if one of these people come, you'll get paid to do it. So now in that situation, based on your track record and features, would you be expected to bring on another showrunner? Would you be able, would you be able to showrun yourself? Great question. Like yeah. So Tommy, who I wrote it with, is a very experienced TV writer over a decade, I think, writing TV. So the idea was he would be the showrunner. I would probably have done the whatever like the WGA showrunner school thing is and and then just been like an EP of the show because I, you know, created or whatever. And then he would be the sole showrunner and I would, you know, be the other bigger voice in the room. And and, you know, maybe we'd bring on someone else, depending on like whether or not like uh, Netflix or an HBO or whoever you know, if they had purchased it, a lot of that would be determined by them. But the way we we're selling this, Tommy would have run the show. He is, you know, far more experienced than I am in TV, you know, over a decade, you know, multiple shows sold. So I think we would have run it that way. But if it was just me by myself, yeah, they would have brought in someone. A lot of times, even before you take it out the pitch, they'll pair you with a showrunner who maybe comes in and helps you polish the pilot or polish the pitch, depending on what stage you're in. And then you go from there. 
Yeah, because with TV, it's always, you know, even more than every other area of the industry, although we talk about this so much, like people want people who've already done it. Absolutely. And so like moving up to showrunner, like I know more people who are like on a show and then became showrunner after the original showrunner left. And then they were able to showrun right. shows from season one. Yeah. But in terms of like show running season one, it's almost always someone who has show run another show before. Yeah. Uh, with that show, we had like, you know, a, a pretty experienced uh, people producing it. And we took it out with uh, Michael Rotenberg, who is, you know, has done many TV shows, including, you know, what's called Silicon Valley and King of the Hill. And, Heard of it. Heard yeah. Of it. <laughs> yeah. His IMDb page has got like 50 things. So he probably would have helped oversee and been like a non-writing producer you know, in the best case scenario, but this little thing called COVID happened really threw a wrench in our plans. Oh, yikes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was... What's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. When I was first getting started, I was co-writing a pilot with, based off of an article with a journalist from Rolling Stone. And, you know, we went through the motions of submitting to the Sundance Labs. We were finalists twice. I loved the story and, of course, working with my writing partner. But I was so naive. I was like, and when we sell this... <laughs> we're going to require that we're both showrunners. We'll be co-showrunners of this. And it was, I, I commend my ambition and, you know, dream big, but I am very much a realist now knowing that I will be, hopefully be in the writer's room of a show that <laughs> I sell. And pre-writer strike, I went through two labs that involved an extensive pitch process and pitch development process, which is something that I think is very... It's part of this job as a filmmaker or a TV maker that is critical to the process, but I don't think we speak too much about. So I'd love to touch on that experience. Yeah, I mean, pitching in general is its so interesting. I'd I pitched a couple of things with Tommy now and he's a professional stand-up comedian and as well as a TV writer. So like listening to him pitch is it's amazing pitching with him, except for like you get so caught in uh, like the actor, like, oh yes, it is my time to talk now. You know, like yeah. it takes us a while to iron it out because I'm, you know, I like you suddenly just like sit back in your chair and you're like, this guy's hilarious. Yes, and then, yes. Yeah, you forget that you have to get back into it. But you know, pitching TV is very interesting. When we did our TV show was called Easy Fix, and the idea was like you know, we had written this spec pilot. I We had come up with the idea together. We, When we took it out, when we started meeting with different places, it was like, you know, we pitched the main character, why we thought she was so interesting and her and her husband were so interesting. But also like, hey, there's nothing like this on TV, but there's a lot of things that are sort of like this on TV. You yeah. know? So it's like, this Same is a marketable idea. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's incredibly original and you don't have this. Uh, we know you don't have it, but also like, this isn't, you know, so weird that you wouldn't want to program it, you know? And, and so it's right. pulling that in and then also saying like, you read the pilot, hopefully. Right? I was going to say, generally, yeah. generally yeah. You, somebody reads the pilot or somebody at the production company exactly. that you'll be pitching at has read the pilot yeah. before taking the meeting. That yeah. wasn't the case in the labs that I was doing. So I had yeah. the job of like selling people in on the idea and conveying it all. But when you are doing that pitch meeting, Jason you are essentially telling the story of the pilot and yep. then the arc of the show and then breaking down the characters like you were just saying. There's not a protagonist like this on TV and conveying the tone. So it is a lot to to be yeah. putting together. It's a crazy amount to manage. I've done this twice. I did it also with my friend Amy and I pitched a TV show. Our 
pitch was on March 12th, 2020, the day everything shut down. I have very bad luck with COVID and TV. <laughs> you keep talking about this COVID thing. <laughs> yeah. I remember in that pitch, executives were like laughing, but they had notebooks held in front of their faces because nobody knew what the protocol was going to be. Oh my God. So, so, <laughs> I do, if there's a Hollywood horror story, I probably have one. But uh, you know, I, I like a lot of it is, yeah, this is why these characters matter. This is what they're going through. And then here's the arc of the first season, but also then proving like, okay, but this is why this lasts multiple episodes, right? This isn't, this is why this isn't a movie. This is why you can come back every week and learn. And, you know, bah, the show I did with Tommy was really about like, essentially just like the idea of wanting more and how that's such an American ideal. You know, it's not like not just being happy with your three bedroom house and your, your two kids, you know, it's like, how do I get a third, a fourth bedroom and a fourth kid and get them into Harvard and do whatever, you know, it is that sort of baggage that we have. It sort of does feel like, closely tied to the American ideal of like, how do we get more out of this? You know, so it's like threading that theme through. And then in season two, we'll do this, you know, and in season three onward, we're going to explore these things. You know, we talk a lot about whether or not a show has legs or not. LEG The engine, the engine of the show. Yeah. What's the engine going forward? I had a film professor who worked on The Pretender, which is one of my favorite shows growing up as a kid. And the idea was like, here's a guy trained by an elite government agency and he can become anything. So the first day of the writer's room, she said, they just got a whiteboard and were like, let's write a hundred jobs he could pretend to be. And Mm -hmm. then just like, literally, then they broke story from that. Here's the, you know, and it was very closely their first, hundred episodes where like, okay, if we start and he's a pilot, you know, and then he's a plumber and then he's whatever, you know, a train engineer. It's just like so many different ways they could build story from that. And I always think that's interesting. But yeah, you want the people you're pitching to, to see not only like the inherent good quality of the writing, but also the marketability of like, this is why this show matters. Like, this is why this feels like something that will, for lack of a better term, like get into the zeitgeist. Something we make fun of on Twitter all the time is every executive likes to be like, well, why now? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why? Oh, my God. Yeah. Why now? Why should you be doing this now? I'm like, well, because I thought of it on the ride home. That's why now. But, you know, that's also uh, that sort of idea of like filling in the why now without it being so gross to me. Like, we, we need to talk about this now. You know, it's just yeah. that sort of issue. But yeah. In, in in a pitch, you should be able to distill it down to some t- to like two sentences, the why now, because it, it's so easy for you to be like, well, it's really important and also blah, 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 blah. But if you can be like, now more than ever, it's important to shine a light on figureheads who see themselves as God, which is a direct quote from my pitch. Like people are like, oh yeah, got it. There's also the why you, which is something you have to be answering, it, whether it's in your director's statement for your feature or your sketch, the why you and why now I think sometimes go hand in hand so nicely. Yeah, absolutely. So so it's that kind of thing. You're you're filling it out. We have a lot of fun guides on No Film School as to like, hey, here's maybe a way to format your pitch or here's a different way. It's funny, like people do it many different ways. I don't think like, you know, we we call them, you know, templates, but really it's like you go in the way you want to feel. A lot of it's I try to start with a personal anecdote, how I came, how we came to the story. You know, Tommy and I had gone to like a Clippers game and we're in Uber ride home just talking and like how just like a conversation in a 20 minute Uber ride could become a TV show. And like, you know, like each of us sharing different struggles or different things that we were like, Oh, this seems universal. We're two guys who were like, you know, he's from the Midwest. I'm from the East coast, like things that we didn't think would typically align that would lead us here. You know? And I remember when I did my TV show with my friend, Amy, we were volunteering for young storytellers together and we were, we were getting coffee afterward. And we're talking just about like, I think goofing around about logline ideas. And one of the logline ideas that made us laugh so hard, we realized like, well, if this made us laugh so hard, 
maybe would make you you know it's like if this joke made us feel like we've each identified with this thing how are we going to roll into this now and like you know taking that out and doing stuff like that so it's interesting you know it's it's not only just finding like your personal statement but it's also like inviting i think the executives you're pitching to or the people you're pitching to to feel the idea with you right to like feel that warmth as you're enveloped in a story that you're like oh yeah i do want to know i do want to feel that there's a a thing about pitching and i come from the world of being a ad seller for podcasts and the Wall Street Journal and YouTube and Google back in the day. And it it can feel so icky to be like selling somebody in on an idea. But I think if you've taken the time to write a pilot and write treatment and show Bible and workshop this idea for months, for months, and you still love living in it. One of the things I like to teach my students from my Pitcher podcast class, which I think applies to pitching a TV show, is your excitement for the idea will be contagious. And all you can do is be excited for the idea and trust that the right people will get on board with it. There's a million reasons why somebody will say no, and most of them are out of your control. There could be a project that is similar-ish, and they could have recently done something that had a theme that was similar that completely flopped. So they're kind of in the doghouse when it comes to unpacking this type of show, for example. But I think if you're pitching your show and people like you as a person because you have put your best foot forward to care for this idea, that's a win in itself, even if it's not a yes. Also, it's important to remember when you're selling anything that you're you're not just looking to sell it, you're looking to find the right partner. Yep. So like when you're hunting for an agent, you're going to meet with people, agents and managers, and they're going to evaluate you, but you are also evaluating them. Like you know, Jason has talked previously about like, ooh, I already knew these people from being on the other side of phone calls. So like, I know a lot of people who took projects to multiple producers looking for the producer who got it the right way. And I also know people. And you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb, not on my feature, but on other small projects. I've worked with the wrong producers on mm-hmm. small projects. Mm-hmm. I'm really lucky. The people who produce my feature are brilliant. I still love them to this day. But like where it's a struggle the whole time because you're like, well, you just don't get this. And you're producing it and you're involved in like putting other things together. And and I am struggling with you and we're supposed to be the team struggling to get the project out. And so like when you are selling something, you are also trying to find out like, do they get this? Like, do they understand it the way I understand it? Are they going to be able to advocate for it? Are they, or the whole time, are they going to be pushing for a nude scene that is totally unnecessary because they like, you know, that's like, they that's just don't there. get it. They yeah, just, they just don't, don't get, get it. it. And they're like, but can she take her top off? And you're like, no, but it's not that, like, it's not that movie. And like, don't you want to find that out in the pitch? So like, you want to find out, you are trying to find out about them when you are pitching as well. And it's hard to remember that because, you know, you're trying to sell a thing that you care about and maybe they have access to money, but you want to make sure that you're finding the right people to make the movie, the movie it's going to be. And you might not feel like you have that power now, Mm -hmm. but you're going to be way better off long-term if you're pitching someone and they don't seem to get the movie that you want to make. Nothing. try and make it with them. 
nothing feels better than sitting across from someone who is giving you praise, right? Like it, it does. Like so much of this job is thankless and hard. And when someone's like, "Oh my God, Charles, I love your idea. You, you little genius," you know, like you're <laughs> like, "Oh, this feels amazing." But once once those platitudes are over, they might not also understand it. You know, I think yeah. that's the difficulty out here. You know, you you'll see the tweets or like, you know, I think like the ultimate example everyone talks about is like the Fight Club poster on the frat guy's wall. It's like, does he know what's about toxic masculinity, or is he really into the idea that it's just about fighting? You know, <laughs> like yeah. like what's and I I think I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine truly yesterday, and she was she picked maybe the wrong rep. You know, and then I think she was like, but he he really believed in this one thing, but everything else he hates, you know, and I was like, yeah, this is it's an issue, right? It's like you got so caught up in them loving one thing that that you did. Maybe they you f- didn't ask enough questions to figure out if they really believed in who you are, you know, and I think that's like maybe the, well, it sounds like relationship advice, but it is like a lot of these reps and producers it winds up being a relationship. You could have the wrong producer for a project, even if they think it's good, they might not be the right person to deal with it because they might not know or or they might try to force it into being something that they think is a little bit more commercial. You know, I think we've all done rewrites or chased ideas for the wrong people. And then suddenly you have to have that conversation where you're like, well, I actually think this should stay an intense drama and we shouldn't add, you know, a bunch of yucks to it. You know, like it might not be a funny subject. You can always tell when you're watching a movie or TV show that feels like maybe got overnoted where you're trying to serve right. many different masters. The one thing I'll say in TV, which is nice, is that it's still the writer's still king, right? So you can, you might get a lot of notes, but you don't have to take all the notes, right? I learned from the best. You take the good ones. Of course you take the good ones. That's part of like the humbling part of writing is that you won't figure it out all on your own. When you get a bunch of notes, some of them are going to be good and they're going to help you get to the best place possible. But some of them will also suck. You know, they, yeah. they will be like, this is a dumb note and you don't have to do anything except not take, it. you know, you're writing to get your project to be the best it can be. And certainly there are times where you feel like a little hamstrung, like, oh, if I don't take this producer's note, will they hate me? Will they do whatever? But really the only thing you owe it to is the project and, and what you're doing. And I think the when you're still taking an idea out as a pitch, it's still yours, right? It's, this is before anyone's committed money or done whatever. You're selling them on your vision for what the show is. Look, further down the line, they might be like, hey, you have to incorporate Tide laundry detergent in this because they're our main sponsor. And you're like, but, you know, we don't use Tide. This family doesn't even wash their clothes, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, you, you'd have to find a way. But in that pitch, it's still the dissolution of your idea. And what you love about it should be the thing you're highlighting the most. And I think you'd sense like, if they love the same thing about it as you do, you're probably in the right hands. Yeah. Uh, you know, but if they just genuinely love that it's a hot property or they feel like it's commercial, then maybe it's like, yeah, you've made a good taste, but you might not be good at what I need you to do, which is sell this, set it up, get other people passionate about it, that sort of stuff. Our our interview from a couple of weeks back with Rob Savage, the director of The Boogeyman, is a great example of getting on the same page with the studio or with your producing partners to make sure that you're making the same movie. I just thought he had great advice and it feels like it applies to television. Now, I'm curious to hear about the stage of you have your produce, your producers on board, a production company attached. You are out in the world pitching to networks. Now, let's say that a network has agreed to make the show. As I understand it, there are three potential paths. The network is producing, signed on to produce a pilot. 
the network is signed on to help develop the script a little bit more, which may actually fall under that first category, or you go straight to series. Do you know much about this, Jason? Yeah, so you want an order, right? So like the idea is you're taking a pitch out, you get that straight to series order. So you're you're not, you're if you get that straight to series order, then you're going to start to build a room. You, you know, if you've written the pilot already, then you're going to, you're going to focus on maybe pilot rewrites based on their notes. And also like what, you know, what the season arc's going to look like that, those sort of outlines for episode two through, let's say 10, just <laughs> given the way the world works now, you know, and then hiring those people and staffing up and getting a director for the pilot and all those things, you know. The other version is that spec pilot, right? Hey, we like this idea enough to produce a pilot for it. And then we're going to decide if we want it to be a show. So if you're under that route, you're probably interviewing directors, trying to figure out who has the exact same vision you do. And then also interviewing cast who might be open to a show, going to a spec pilot, but whatever. A lot of the way things are sold now is like a movie, so like as a package. So when we took our TV show out, we had a director attached. And briefly uh, had an actress attached, but then who got a different project had to walk away. So she wasn't part of the final package. But like, so we had things set. So when we were doing our pitch, we would hand it over to the director who would be like, and now visually, this is how I'll do what these guys said, you know, and had had her own portion of what it would be. So like, those are most of the ways it happens now. I'd say like, it's difficult to say like, Streamers, it, it felt like for a while we're just taking these big swings on series because they had no problem canceling if they didn't like them. Whereas networks were still making these spec pilots and then deciding based on you know how they did or wh- whether people watched them. A couple years ago, Amazon did a crazy thing where they made eleven pilots and they said we're going to pick up three of these shows and it's going to have to do with who watches what the most and then audiences could vote online. It was very Hunger Gamesy and I can't remember what one out of all those. I just remember the Jean Claude Van Damme show I really liked, and I think it maybe lasted a season, uh, where he's like playing a secret agent who's also Jean Claude Van Damme. Very funny, and there's a couple other ones in there. So this business has tried different ways to do it, right? I think this is like a long way of saying like the best thing you can do if you're taking a TV show out is either have a really strong pitch, or for myself who's still trying to break into that TV world, I'm always writing the spec pilot because it's hard for me to just sell people without them reading my features because in TV, it's not like their hobby's not picking up with the latest Jason Ellerman classic, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so I'll just not write... Yet. Yeah, not yet, hopefully. Write a pilot that I think sells, the obviously, the characters, the tone, the story, all those things, so that when I come into the pitch, hopefully they've read it, so they're not like, will this guy be able to execute this idea on the page? And I, I do think there's pros and cons for that, you know, like... A lot of times studios will get, oh, well, you already wrote the pilot. So like, we don't have to pay you the pilot fee, you know, right, <laughs> like you can screw right. yourself oh, out of God. money later. There's, there's plenty of, you know, creative accounting that happens or like, you know, a lot of what they'll ask you for free and free writing is probably something we could do an entire podcast on, but just like, oh, well, you have the idea, like maybe just write like a, we won't call it a Bible because we'd have to pay you for that. But if you had like a document you wanted to write, it's like oh, a document, you know, but uh, you know, there, we can go endlessly on that, but there's all sorts of different things, like different ways they'd love to package what these ideas are. For me, it was like, I, I enjoy writing specs. I don't take a long time to write them. You know, if I have a TV idea, I think I could get a rough draft done in a couple of weeks and I can get a first draft done in a month. And pending, you know, manager notes, whatever, all that other stuff. Like we get something out within three months and I still believe in the idea. Great. I always advocate for people whose voices maybe aren't like fully exposed on the page yet. Like, yeah, write that thing because people might have no idea what you sound like and you might not be great at pitching. That's the other thing. Like I, Tommy, who I did that one show with, he's an amazing pitcher. I think I'm just okay. So I really like to prove on the page, Hey, you read this and you know, it's great. And maybe I'm okay in the room, but if you get a showrunner 
with me. I'm not a crazy person. Like I'm good to team up with people and I like to learn. That's a good way to sell yourself too. So it really just depends. At the end of the day, the ideal scenario is we're ordering the straight to series and you're going to get working on stuff right away. But what most likely happens is they're going to develop it. So they'll bring in the director. They'll want to talk to you more about it. You know, you'll attach someone there. Then maybe they'll bring in an actor or an actress to play the lead. This is how we're going to do that. Maybe, you know, if you're young, maybe that's when they'll bring in the show. And I have a friend that this just happened to where like, they come up with this idea based on this book. They brought in this showrunner. You know, she was like, great. You've already written the first episode. So I don't have to do anything there. Now we have this package. Now we'll take this out. Then the big question was people like, oh, well, can you two work together since she's just signing up to your thing? So then they had to go back and rewrite a pilot everyone already enjoyed together to take it out, to do whatever. And it wound up going nowhere. And it was kind of a lot of long free work that neither of them were like, yeah, we, you know, we both want to be paid. We want to do this stuff. So there's a lot of ring and roll in there just to say the idea is king and your execution of the idea is king. But you need to have that succinct, passionate pitch that really makes people buy in. Because a lot of times the other factors are like what Charles said, do they already have a whatever TV show? Do you know, do they find this to be whatever? Or like, I remember we were pitching our TV show and like at the time, like Showtime was firing all their execs. So it was like, and then revamping what they wanted to do. So it's like, you're pitching to people who might not be there the next week. So it's like, mm-hmm. hey, you pitched to four execs, we're now gone. So you could always go back there. It's like, oh, that's, you know, crazy. But uh, yeah. That's I I wonder if it'd be helpful at some point for us to do our pitches on the show. What you know after they are oh, yeah. inevitably maybe not sold through or have, just so our listeners can hear what it's like to to pitch on its feet. Yeah, I think there's a really good. If you look at NoFilmSchool.com, we have a video that Mickey Fisher, who's like a TV writer who wrote Extant and a, a bunch of other things, he videotaped himself pitching once. And then he put it on Twitter and we have a link to that. If you just type in Mickey Fitcher pitch advice, Mickey, Mikey, I feel like it's Mickey. It doesn't matter. But it was fun to watch someone else do it, right? Here's someone's like longer pitch for a TV series and how I went into it and do whatever. And I do think that that stuff is interesting. I'll, I'll have to see if I have any videotape ones. But yeah, I think it would be really fun to come in and break down a pitch just because it is so so idea dependent, right? Like I, I try to say like, look, you should be in and out in like 12 minutes. And we were doing that pitch with Tommy. He's a standup. He knows timing really well. We had that dialed down to like our lines, you know, who was going to do what. We also pitched a movie together that was like around that. Like we did, I think that was like 15 minutes, really boiled down, memorized. This is how you do it. Other people talk for longer, do different things. I, I think it's interesting. You know, I've tried to do some gimmicky Zoom pitches once. I think my friend Amy, when we took our show out, it was like a rom-com idea show where we would pretend in the middle to like go off camera and make out but we didn't realize on other <laughs> on other people's zoom screens that they we weren't next to each other so they're just like why are these people walking other places and oh, why is jason licking, licking the side of a camera it's supposed to be like amy's face but it's actually like some other exec you know it's like a little oh, too we thought too outside God. the box you know and a hey. little harassy licking <laughs> random yeah, executive exactly. faces yeah. The big takeaway from all this is you cannot practice your pitch enough. I remember for years after film school meeting up with friends and we were all practicing pitches with each other. And like, I've been in the room where someone is doing an unrehearsed pitch. And like, I'm sure there's brilliant people who can just wing it. But most of the vast majority of pitches that have gone somewhere in the history of entertainment have been rehearsed. You have to because you're trying to create a show. You're trying to implant a show in someone's brain. And like, please rehearse it. Please. Rehearse it and have your pre-pitch ritual down and have have your sort of 
get getting into the right headspace for me, it's listening to musical music and watching a boxer dog jumping on a trampoline. I swear to God, I always feel like a million bucks after that. And 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 knowing that when you get into the pitch, whether it's on Zoom or in the room, the person on the other side is rooting for you. They Absolutely. want you to succeed. They want to be able to make your show because you're making their job easier. Yeah. I try to go by the rule of like, I write the pitch out like I would be reading it. And I try not to go over three Word document pages. And then I rehearse those Word document pages so much reading it out loud that I take those three and I create a one Word document page bullet pointed thing. So then I'm just looking at the bullets and then I can like recall what I'm supposed to be talking about. So I'm looking at the bullets. So it does feel more stream of consciousness, but little do they know, I've probably done it 50 times. I've memorized the whole document. I know, you know, looking at that, the way to go in. And then I give myself a little elbow room where if they're laughing or they ask a question, I can answer it, but I can always go back to that other bullet and prompt myself into it, you know? And, and some people do that. There's, there are active listeners, there's passive listeners. As someone who's taken out dozens of pitches and I've bombed a handful of them. I mean, bombed. Uh, there are, you know, people who listen, people who don't, people who are going to be on their phone during it. Your job is just to tell that great version of the passionate version of the story. And I'll say like some of my most successful pitches came from people who I thought hated the idea, you know, who ignored me. And some of the people who are the most engaged, we never heard back from. So it's really like impossible to tell with the audience, but, you know, try and read their features, try and, you know, see what they bump on, you know, test your jokes out. Remember I took a pitch out in 2015 about like, doesn't matter. Like the movie was about a guy who could, you know, if you meet someone on a dating app, what's the first thing you do? You Google them, right? To make sure they're not a murderer. So he, his job was he would make your Google page look amazing and it'd just be hot photos of you and whatever. And what I would do is I would find out which execs I was meeting. I'd go on Google and I'd find the worst photos I could find of them. And then before the pitch started, I would hand them out to everybody in the room. And I'd be like, here's all the stuff you found on Google that maybe you didn't know. And it was super effective, except for like, I remember doing and I was pitching to an older guy, not of that generation. Let's see, he was like in his 50s or 60s. And he was like, where did you get this? And like, didn't understand that if you just typed his name into Google and scrolled down, you could find a picture of him drunk in like 1986, you know, <laughs> which is some, a burden of the cross our generation has to bear. So sometimes that stuff works, right? These stunts, these fun things, sometimes you know, then someone's really angry and they're like, yeah, they're calling their assistant in and be like, well, I need this off the internet now. It's like funny you would mention why you'd want it off. Here's a movie about it. Didn't, that guy didn't buy it. But, uh, you know, there's all sorts of those ideas out there, I think, or like gimmicks or different things. Don't be afraid to shake it up a little, but like, yeah, a hook. But again, like that pitch worked, I think, not just because of the hook, but because 12 minutes after we did that, I was wrapping it up and hitting the questions hard, you know, so. That's an amazing, I, I love that story. Hey there, it's Gigi checking in, and I just wanted to give you a heads up about how the rest of the podcast will go. So I mentioned in my conversation with Charles and Jason about an upcoming conversation with the team behind the show, Hanshi, and now I'm going to play it for you because what better time than the present? I also want to call out that in our conversation, we had probably the biggest podcast I have ever conducted in my life. I think we had 10 people on mics because the entire team rolled through at their Sundance premiere, which was amazing. So you hear perspectives from the show creators, the two showrunners, 
It's a comprehensive conversation that I hope you enjoy. It may feel a little chaotic though, because it was, but I also thought it was really helpful and cool to hear about how they made this show and brought it to life and where it's going. On top of that, I was in full Sundance Festival brain slump. So you'll hear me, you know, kind of make some flubs, like not remembering the word Hebrew. And I am just a human learning and sometimes operating on not enough sleep. So I would rather you hear that, my unfiltered mistake, than not hear anything at all. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the team behind the show, Hanshi. I'm Miki Trieste. I'm co-director of Hanchi. I co-directed with Aaron Gevan that's sitting next to me. I'm Aaron Geva. I co-directed with Miki Trieste. Hi, I'm Aliza. I'm the creator slash writer slash actor. Star. Star of Hanchi. And this is Sarah. <laughs> she's three weeks old. She's a little over three weeks, but she's not a month. Now, what was her role in the production? She came, she was during the editing process. She was in the post-production and she kept me on the couch. Uh, She's the reason why we finished it on time. (laughs) She's the reason why we finished it on time. Thank you, Sarah. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Hi, I'm Adi. I'm Elisa's husband and I was part of the editing team. Hi, I'm Danelle. I'm also an editor on the show. My name is Marnina Schoen. Yeah. Oh, I acted in the show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Now, can somebody tell me, for our listeners who haven't yet seen the show, what is Hansi? Am I saying it right? Hansi. Hansi. Wait, Marnina has a very good way of explaining. It's Han like Hanukkah and she like she's got to have it. Hansi. Hansi, yeah. Great. Or you can also say Hansi if it's okay. It's okay. What's the last one? Hanshi, like just with an H if you want, but it's a chet. It's a ch. And the ch is hard for people, but I was like, I wanted it to be hard for people. Hanshi. Hanshi. Yeah. It hurts the throat. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's like the show. You're doing it right. Yeah. Feel a burn. Hanshi. Hanshi about. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds Japanese. Yeah. (laughs) It is actually. There's like a... a, well, not that's not what I meant, but I don't want to say what it's about because I hate doing like the elevator pitch. Mickey has it. Mickey? What? You, you're telling everyone the last few days. Oh Let's hear. Every what you, Uber what driver. About? Let's hear. Imagine if, it's if, Uber. if I will fuck up, then these… We'll correct like, you. Yeah, yeah, edit me out. Yeah, okay. We'll do one word story. Everyone yes. says one it's word. About, okay, it's about a young Jewish woman from Brooklyn. She's, she's religious. She's what you call… What you call it? No, she's not. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, she's religious. And she's going to Israel to visit her friend that's getting married. And she decides just to like move to Israel. Abruptly. Abruptly make Aliyah. That's how we call it in Israel. It's like going going up up to Israel. And then like from then on, she meets the Israeli mentality and Israeli man and like all the, all that Israel has to offer. She goes wild. She goes wild. Yeah, she goes wild. Did I do an okay job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I loved it. Okay. Now, can't wait to see it. Can't wait. I- <laughs> now, how did this show come together from, like, what was the inception of the show? Okay. So I went to Sam Spiegel Film School in Jerusalem. Uh-huh. 
And I did a few short films there where I also acted in them. And I also dealt with this like world of, of Olim Chadashim, which is like new immigrants to Israel, which is like what I, you know, right, what you know. And then Aaron and Mickey, who I know also from school, I was in the director's track. They were in the screenwriter's track. They worked at HOT, which is the Israeli network who did the show. And they recommended my show to the woman who's in charge of content. And they said, oh, they recommended my, did Not I show. Not my show. They recommended my, you. <laughs> sorry, yeah. I, I had a baby. I forget things. We said you you have to meet Aliza. Yeah, she's, she's done amazing. two she's shorts, a, yeah. which are fantastic, and they're kind of like the DNA of the show. Yeah, and then when and then I met with her. I didn't know who she was. I just was like fuck it, and I left. And then she wanted to meet with me again. And this was when I like at the last when I really finished school. And then I understood that I this is an opportunity, and I'm like finishing school, and I need a job. She was like, did you ever think of taking what you've done and turning it into a show? And I was like, not interested. But I said, yeah, I have so many ideas and I really want to do that. And that's where it started. And I mean, a lot of the things that she saw in my show, in my short films, she was like, she said she liked that there's like a provocativeness and there's also like talking about sexuality and like these religious worlds. And I think that those were things that really caught her eye. And she was like, this is the kind of show that I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to her credit, the network where it was in five years earlier, it's now in a very different place. So I have to give me read credit for the fact that like, even though it's not like the other shows that they're putting out, she stuck with it mm-hmm. throughout all this time. And, and I think she got what she ordered. Yes. Right? Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. And it's a great show. Guys. <laughs> it's funny and it's heartful and yeah. it's also very dark. It's so amazing to me that, Eliza, that like you, when you tell that story, you're like, I didn't know that I was going to make a series. And like, I didn't, and you were just like, you know, talking through your teeth. Fake it till you make it. Talking through your fake butt. Yeah. Featured in episode <laughs> five. five. I haven't seen that one. No. I only got to see the first four. It's a fake butt. It's a fake butt. Oh my gosh. But like, because I think like watching the show and also like reading the script initially, it's like there's so many shows within the first season. Like it feels like if anything, you had like six ideas, like six possible shows you could have written because there are so many like characters that you want to follow and and like so many characters that go through change and like exploration and and have their own whole like backstory that you were able to include in there. And at what point did you both become attached as directors? You know, you mentioned that you were screen in the screenwriting program and yeah. Aliza was in the directing track. We, so, we, we met Aliza at school. We had like this, I don't know how to say. It's, it's like a shared, a shared. We had a shared class about like the history of cinema. and Like history of cinema, like 101. Yeah. yeah. And the, the teacher was, was reading the names. And he got to Aliza and she was like, present. She was like <laughs> yelling. No, she, no, you were yelling. No, because he didn't hear the, the, he, the guy before didn't hear his name called. It's not so a good then, explanation. You were so then I was yelling. like saying it clear so that he, he was an old man. She was being a loud American and we instantly like fell in love. Yeah, with he was like, the teacher was like, get out. Oh, keep me out Present, get out. Yeah. <laughs> like this. And she just walked away. And it, uh, and that's the minute we knew that it was a love story. <laughs> yeah. oh. But like we were working at Hot, yeah. we're in the 
we're advisors, like a con- we're content advisors. That's to Mirit, the same. To Mirit, to be. Yeah. And she's the head of head of drama. And yeah. And then like Aaron was attached to it like in, from the beginning yeah. you were a script, script editor. editor. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and th- that was six years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's the time it takes to make a show in Israel. So, and it's like a good, a good amount quick. of years. Yeah, that's that feels, a quick process. Yeah. The, the, uh, of all the people I've spoken to at Sundance, yeah. the shortest time to just get the scripts done yeah. has been five years. Really? So, yeah, so we are like You guys are quick. way yeah. ahead. So we're oh, wow. in a good... Yeah, and didn't, we're in a good spot. Didn't know Crazy. that. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's yeah. talk about the tone of the show, which is it's dark, it's hilarious, it's offensive, offensive in a <laughs> great in a way. way. Yeah. But also, I felt like I was always rooting for the character, like the protagonist, yeah. and like what was the process of developing the story and figuring out the tone of the show. I don't, I don't think there was a, yeah. like you just gave a compliment and I feel like I'm going to be like, well, it's, it's just like how I am. But no, but I don't think there was like a conscious thing of like, of a tonal thing. Cause I think, Danelle, can you help me with this? Well, I can only say what happened in the editing room, but I feel <laughs> like there, there was, there is in the show an issue that we weren't, I mean, a DNI, because we know Elisa so well and we love her so much. People come on, people will come up and be like, Khan, she's like obnoxious. So she's like rude. We're like, we wouldn't even see it. Like, cause like we like her and we like the scripts and like how she was directed. And like, but we do know that there's an issue where, and the first, like she makes this impression of like someone who doesn't really care about her, her best friend or like would do things just because that's what she would want. But like, as the show evolves, and I think that is in the script, that's no. not an editing process. That's definitely in there from day one is that you understand why she is the way that she is and that, you come to relate with her and understand and like really deeply identify with her. So that was in the script always, like for me, even reading like very early drafts five years ago, like with, in different situations and like with more episodes, but then, you know, budget. But, but that was always in. And I think in the editing, we just try to... Hey, Sarah. Sorry. Sarah oh, also wants we're to... We're a hangout herself, so... She that, can. Yeah. And this is a hangout podcast, so we invite okay. all sounds, including... Babies that were made. She really knows all about the editing process. Yeah. <laughs> from her. She, she wants, wants to say right? something. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, the, yeah. Well, in terms of like tone, I think it was like, for me, it was important that, especially in the beginning, because I know, because I do think there was a choice to make someone who she's like a bit manic, like very excited, which could be, could which could be, turn people off, especially like how she relates to Noki in the first mm-hmm. episode. But it was important that it would be like funny and entertaining. Yeah. and. Yeah then I think the tone maybe has like a bit of a shift as it goes on. And I think you just need to do that to keep things interesting. Yeah. And I think from my perspective, I think that every decision Aliza made script wise was always like, what's the funniest thing? What's the funnest thing? Like mm-hmm. what's the most entertaining? I, I didn't think, I don't think we ever talked about like ability. I think we, we always got notes about like her being, Hanchi being like more likable or more like th- that's something that we got from from like readers or stuff like that. Am I allowed to I say that? I hope you threw that yeah. all away because it, the fear, the fearlessness and the following the yeah. fun of the character is what makes it so yeah. strong and cringy in the best way. But like, again, it, yeah. you're pushing, you're pushing the narrative. That's what it felt Yeah, like. I think if, 
if we made her, if if Aliza would write her less, like more likable, she would mm. be less daring. And I think that's a real, really big part of this character. Like, I don't think it would work if she were, if she was. I also less. think the payoff would be less yeah. satisfying. I mean, yeah. like, not a payoff. It's not like a, like a. I don't know. A big reveal. Yeah, yeah, it's not like there's yeah no murder, but like <laughs> no, but like boy, unspoiling. Yeah. You really yeah, unspoiling. feel like you're going through a process, which yeah. is I think the most satisfying feel for a viewer. Yeah, I want to talk about casting the character of Noki, who is oh. Han Han Shi's best friend. <laughs> yes. Nailed you're doing it. Good. Thank you. Thank you. you know, no, Noki is the nickname for Nakama. 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 It's Nakama. Nahama. Yeah, she put in oh, the sea of the kud. Nahamak. So Hanshi was written with you in mind, Eliza, the whole time. So what was the process of casting the character? Did you know these guys beforehand? Were you auditioning? How did Marnina come in? I think you need to start the yeah. story and then okay. I'll jump in when I jumped in. I, I think, okay, it was it was always, <laughs> I'm repeating myself. It, it was always difficult to to cast American actors in Israel. I think, as Aliza says all the time, a lot of people think they have mother tongue. No, they think mother tongue means good English. Good, but English. good English is not the same as mother tongue. Yeah, and, and we saw a lot of auditions of a lot of accents over there. And and I just started searching for for American actresses, actors. Actors, actors. Sorry. actors <laughs> who kind of fit the part and not knowing anything, I just wrote to girls on Instagram, which is <laughs> not Marnie recommended. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, most of the time I got blocked. But I will say <laughs> that, so I got this Instagram yeah. message from this. Well, I saw that you like you had a following. It wasn't just like you had 100 followers that helped. I was like, okay, like <laughs> there's like maybe picture. 3,000 hey, people. I'm going to make you a star. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, you get a message of like, want to come do an Israeli TV come show? Israel. But it was Let also, it was also funny. <laughs> like it was a funny message and I like felt like the the sense of humor and like there wasn't like this ego-y sort of approach that you might think. And I also was like, and also like Aaron said, like it's one of the biggest networks in Israel. Like, I lied. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I'm not no, lying. It's a big, it's a big and, network. I mean, and and then also he went to my website, which rarely sees the light of day. Terrific and- website. <laughs> Violin playing, a lot of stuff. I've yeah. seen the website. It's a great website. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Shout out. Marninashown.com. <laughs> exactly. Everyone check it out. Marninashown.com. Make it your homepage. And, but like the fact that you also like went to my like, website and did the contact me thing. I was like, okay, someone who's just like trolling on Instagram is not doing that. <laughs> and then, I attacked from a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I sent a tape and, and, and the scenes had both English and Hebrew. And one of the scenes was like a scene with my therapist that the, the character's therapist that was fully in Hebrew at first, but like she like switches into English for some phrases. And I thought that that was like so funny. And like so much of the comedy was in like when she's switching to switching languages. And I just loved that so much, but I didn't really have the time to like learn the whole scene in Hebrew because my Hebrew is not that good. 
So I like kind of wrote a version of the of the sides where it was like mostly English, but then I was like, I chose certain phrases to switch into Hebrew instead. So I could show that I like kind of knew Hebrew and could handle some of it. Making an effort. Making an effort. And I thought that the Hebrew was funny and and like switching languages is funny. And I called my friend Dorg Wurtzman, who is an incredible actor. He's he's Israeli-American. He lives in L.A., We've like done a show together in LA to help me tape my audition. And then, yeah, like months and months later, they were, they needed to find a Mendy who could get into the country because it was Omicron. And I barely got into the country myself. That's a whole other story (laughs) that's very stress inducing, but amazing. And, and I was like, wait, my friend Dor would be perfect for it. And he And is. he was. He is. He is. Like, he's so like the perfect Mandy. We couldn't believe it when we found yeah, him. We this, is so like, this is like when people talk about like, there's like these miracles that happen like yeah. on productions, on sets, like a documentary stuff that like you catch this moment. It's like yeah. unbelievable. So that's what happened with Dor. It was like, mm-hmm. she's like, well, what about my friend Dor? He can get into the country. And we, I think it's pretty amazing that, I mean, I'm, I'm not very into tech stuff, but with Marnina, I was so surprised when I met her for the first time in person was when she got off the plane and I mm-hmm. waited till she was done quarantining to the, go see her. And Actually, it was I was like, oh my gosh, she's so tall. Because everything was on, we had to, we did like, we met, we did a match. Like everything was virtual. Everything was like. Yeah, we had, I had a call back on Zoom and I was immediately just like totally taken in by like the th- the three of them and their warmth and like it w- I wrote to them after and I was like this was the most wonderful audition process I've ever had because I never thought that I it would actually all happen right. like I was like oh lol like gonna audition for this Israeli TV show like <laughs> what a funny story <laughs> I feel like I remember you talking about this on <laughs> New Frontiers and you're like so yeah I'm going to Israel I think for the show I just yeah. booked it yeah. and we're like cool yeah. okay <laughs> it's happening well you you talk about the warmth of everyone and and I want to hear about the really happened <laughs> the tea the cold cold hearts of these two directors no no I want to hear about your collaboration as directors cuz you co-directed all the episodes right yes we we are yeah, it's it's it doesn't work that way that like Different you don't like hire the. I mean, sometimes you do. You're, no, we you're don't have like, any money. We also don't film pilots. Like yeah. it's not a. You, there's not enough money to film a pilot. But also, like work. a director has like a different place in the production. I think in in the US, it's more of a for hire thing. Like mm-hmm. you you hire it different episode. different director for each episode, and in Israel, it's not the same thing. So we were like really involved in this production it's not like you know we just came and did our job yeah. also it was like our first project the first big yeah. project yeah we just did before we did like a I'm short sure. film mm-hmm. that won an academy an israeli oh. academy award yes. oh cool yeah and my parents watched it twice in a row they loved it yeah <laughs> it's called bracha it's called bracha and so that that's our only like Credential. Yeah, but we met. We met at film school. At, we were. We were both like at screenwriting. Yeah. Yeah. Lessons. We 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 just we we found one one, one another, another. In, in, <laughs> the, in class. I think we both hated writing. I think that's that's what brought us together. 
<laughs> so I, I think what I, I think Mickey and I share this thing that we are both kind of like makers. Mm-hmm. We don't like like dwelling on scripts. We like to like go out there and just shoot Create. stuff and yeah. edit them and make music and make the art and make the like yeah, be involved in every small aspect part of the yeah of the we, we're kind of like gorilla. I think we're gorillas, not the, not the animals. Um, guerrilla. Well, rel- guerrilla. Guerrilla. That's not actually how it's pronounced. And, that's, how you <laughs> it. that's just how it's spelled. And we just started after school um, while our friends were writing, which is what we learned. We just started shooting stuff. Like we bought a home video camera mm-hmm. and we started shooting Mickey with costumes and, and wigs. <laughs> and we went to the streets and like filmed people and, And we kind of like rolled with it and until we got the short film. Like we, we had a good connection with a friend from school, Batel Museri. She's mm-hmm. really talented and she's an actress too, an actress she's writer. She's going to also have like a series in, uh, in Hot. In Hot. Oh, and we, yeah. we're going to direct it. If we live if we, till if then. If we survive. If you live Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hope we do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we just did this short on on. during lockdown there was a big project in hot of like short films about covid 19 yeah like really like indie yeah truly indie you know like you have two weeks own. and like no money go yeah. ahead <laughs> and so that's really for us <laughs> that stuff is, where you yeah like yeah, three so, weeks so okay we've we've done everything like we've edited it ourselves and we've written music ourselves and yeah and we 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 like brought people water. So that, that bought us, that bought us some, some yeah. credibility, I think. Yeah. Uh, like from hot. Yeah. And when you, so when you're on set, yeah. do you divide and conquer or do you no. gut check everything with each other and make sure that you're on the same page? We, we pretty much check everything. I think yeah. like the only times we fought was like, Oh, you didn't did. check it with me. Yeah. But it's, it's very, it's hard not to be like egomaniac, you know, like what's, where do I end and the other one begins and mm-hmm. do I, am I considered to be a director or am I just yeah. like the helper? But I think because we're such great friends for so long, for like 10 years, we've been working yeah, together. We celebrated 10 years. Yes. Congratulations. Guys. Thank you. So happy for you guys. Several. I think like in the beginning, everyone were very worried because it's very, it's, it's very uncommon for like two directors to mm-hmm. direct something. And usually... But it does one, happen. It does happen, but it's brothers. very rare. Brothers. It's co- brothers. We're called like the sisters, <laughs> the Cohen sisters. Yeah. <laughs> when people want to, in hot, when they want to tell us like, you think you're artists? They say Cohen sisters. Yeah. I love which that. we love. Yeah. We yeah, love. We, such we, immediately we, took it. Yeah. We yeah. embraced it. So, but everybody was like, what are you, uh, who will be in charge of what? Are you in charge of the shooting? Are you in charge of the acting? And eventually they all realized that we're doing like everything together yeah. and it just, it, it flows. And I think the, everyone on production, like on, on shooting, just felt like they had they had a place to say what they think like and like Can't it's very inviting yeah. right yeah because we're two like basically we, we're two people I think <laughs> so people so no I think it uh, automatically creates like a space for people to join in and have a debate and mm-hmm. like we can sometimes not agree and have like the 
the crew or the cast like pitch in. Yeah. I think sometimes it made you two more accessible as well. Like yeah. just the fact that there's two of you, like I think on a normal set, I'd be like, oh God, like I don't want to bother the director. Like they have so much going on and you two ha- did have so much going on, but I felt like, oh, at least I could like steal one of them for a moment. Just yeah. to, much like, easier shoot. to manipulate when there's two. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like a <laughs> night shoot. Yeah. We, we, we once had a night shoot in Jerusalem. I think you were there, Adi. And, and we were shooting, it's in episode seven. He's walking with like a bunch of guys. Well, Spoiler alert. <laughs> but no, they're just walking. <laughs> and and I remember like it was even a technical shot. And and then the props master, who's amazing, her name is Yuval, she just mm-hmm. went in and, and she said, like, something's not working, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember it's just some some memory. And kind of an, another person went in and like said, maybe it should be like that. And and it felt comfortable. It felt like yeah. it didn't feel like they're stepping on my toe yeah and and we fixed it and it, it became like a beautiful shot i think you agree yeah. it's is it beautiful yeah, no, I, I had a really good time filming i felt yeah. like also it was important for me to learn everybody's names yeah. <laughs> and it was also important for me to feel like we're col- it's a collaboration because i know that a lot of people at least from what i've heard like the more like old-fashioned Israeli sets. I've never been an American set, but like there's a hierarchy and you don't talk to certain people or you, you do your job and that's it. And for me, I was just like, what does, you know, like if I don't have someone who's going to do the lighting, what's the point? If I don't have someone who's going to record the sound, if I don't have someone who's going to prepare a sandwich, you know what I mean? Like I need all these small parts in order to work. And therefore I think it's an, it's interesting. Like sometimes I would, it would do, I would do a take or do a scene and I would ask someone, wasn't a director or whatever like yeah. what did you think because at the end of the day it's like you want to reach more people and i also like we're all working on one thing together and i understand that i can't do without one of these other people so and our crew was the best yeah. like just dear dear humans and i think of course like having these three at the helm like that created a certain energy and like love on set but like everyone was just like i felt so well taken care of by the crew and like like I was so so sad to leave, be, like because partially, like largely because like we had just created like a family. Like it felt like leaving summer camp. And she got so rude sad. at the end. She was so Israeli. <laughs> she came in like super PC. Yeah. And then she left, and she's like, "Yeah, no, so rude." speak about like discoveries on set from a performance perspective. Were there any scenes where you're like, you thought that it was going to be a certain way. And then when you got there, you're like, oh, well, actually, and maybe it was because of something that Mickey and Aaron directed you or, or because you were making discoveries about the character. Certain, well, a lot of, I think also, I think mostly things had to do like with time and budget some things were surprising that it's like I was involved in the shooting up until I think episode five. And then at that point it was like, I need to learn my lines and I like let go. Not that, I, not that I'm so controlling. I just like, it's, no. you know, it's, in- <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's important for me. It's like very yeah. personal. Yeah, and, and, and I, it Plus, was, we did like a lot of rehearsals. We did our rehearsals. We talked about a lot. Aaron was a script editor. He knew what was going on from the beginning. Right. So I don't know if there were that many surprises, but there were, there were a lot of times where it was like, we don't, 
No, I no, not really. No, it's good. No, well, no Danelle, it's good. I wonder, Danelle, if you noticed any scenes like where there was like a big change in like like from early takes to later takes. Well, I didn't remember all. I remember in episode seven, there was one scene that I didn't remember from the scripts and all. And I was like, what is the scene? And it's the <laughs> best scene. I had the best time editing it. Oh. And I think it's because I didn't remember it at all. Wow. Um, and the, the bar scene with the boys. Oh, it's, great. it's a great scene, I think. Well, it's, a, it's not a spoiler, but like it also captures like everything that's in the show, like yeah. the tension, the sexuality, the humor, everything. So I think... Politics. Yeah, the politics. Politics, everything. It's like really everything in a scene. Um, there were there were different takes and that was really fun to to do. I mean, because they were like two directors and Lisa and the actors and because like, I'm assuming it was like, like you guys described like a very free atmosphere then we had a lot of variety. Sometimes we had like two takes and Aliza was like, I'm sorry, I was tired that day. Or, like we had to finish early. It was sunset. So we, like we did finish on time every day. Yeah, that's, yes. that's very and important. I, and it's very important. It was important for me. It was important for everyone on set. It's like they, there's this culture of like finishing like hours later and then people don't get to see their kids and it's expected. And they're like, well, we pay you for overtime. It's like, yeah, well, like people need a life. Like this is their everyday job. Yeah, this was extremely important for us actually yeah. because... Because of what Elisa just said, also there was like a technical issue that we were told we signed a contract. finish finish on time, or we're gonna shut your cameras off. I mean, it was like very scary. And because we just we also just dodged a crew strike in Israel, yeah. we like started shooting. I'm not the person to talk about this. <laughs> we, started, we started shooting, and then there was a, a crew strike for you know good, you know, for better conditions and yes. better pay and, you know, being treated like humans at your job. We love that. But it was like, because we'd already started production, we were allowed to continue, which was such a miracle for me because I had come all this way, barely got into the country on time before the borders closed because of Omicron. And like, you know, I was, I was just there and couldn't do anything else for three months. So I was like, thank you. Now, how many hours a day were you shooting? I forgot. 12. 12, 12 hours. Okay. And there was only there was only one time when we shot on a Friday. We always had Friday and Saturday off. Okay. And the one Sunday is not a day off in Israel. Got it. Got it. Yeah, so Sunday was Friday. like a Sunday's a regular work day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we don't, the songs are like, just another Monday. It like, doesn't work. Yeah. It's like, They play them on the radio, but it's, it's doesn't like, hit. the context it doesn't work. It took me work. years like, to understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was like one of the day. Yeah. Why is Monday sad? So the one time that we shot on a Friday was because all four of us. Not the, the whole crew. Everybody the whole got crew. But the four of us, everybody got COVID at some point, but the four of us got it at like the same, the same time, uh. which was, and it was after shooting like a, like the biggest episode, like budget wise, I assume it was like the most yeah. expensive episode, tons of extras, six. So big, six. Yeah. yeah, big surprise that that's when we got COVID was when we have 60 extras on set <laughs> and not very much masking because it's more lax in Israel. Also, um, when you shoot, you have to yeah, take, take care of Yes, but, yeah. the, but the guidelines in the U.S. since COVID are really strict about really? masks okay. still. Anyways, we all, we all got it at the same time. And thankfully, like, 
was the weekend. We already had a long weekend built in because of this really big shooting week. And we only had to like bump one day off to the end of the next week Uh so that we shot a Friday morning and they let us out at like two o'clock. And we had to get home for Shabbos. And they sent everybody home with Paula. Oh. And it was so sweet. Like, that was so touching to me. They pay shit, but they give you challah. Yeah, well, it's touching to me, like, because that would never happen. You know, I'm a I'm a Jewish American, and, like, you know, that felt really special to me. And there were, like, a, a, a few things where I was just like, wow, like, this is, it's special oh, to be know. on, in a Jewish production. Yeah. Like, that is cool. <laughs> now, what was the biggest challenge of production, and how did you overcome it? COVID. Yeah. COVID, um, I think, like, also, like, bringing Henry Winkler. Bringing Hen- Henry, bringing Marnina. And shooting, the, <laughs> shooting a crane scene. Yeah, we had a, a crane scene. We, we were, like, Was fighting that the opening to get... shot? Yeah. No. No, no. no. the opening shot. I mean, the end. Towards the end. But towards the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were, like, fighting to get that shot done, the entire production, thinking that she <laughs> would fly over Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah. But they were like, okay, we're flying her over Jerusalem. It's going to be stunning. And then, like, a week before, we were, like, asking our DOP, Ziv Bukovic, who was like, how, how high is she going to get? They was like, they're going to see, we're going to see the street. We're like, okay, the street. We're going to see the street. We're going to see the train. We're going to see the pharmacy behind. Yeah, pharmacy that got us spawned. You're not seeing all of this. But I would say for me, the hardest thing production wise was no money. It was the most challenging. No, and what I mean by that is that like it was originally 12 episodes I wrote. That was it was supposed to be 12 episodes. And then they're like, well, we don't have money. So I cut out scenes. Eventually I cut down to 11 episodes and then I and then I cut it down to 10 episodes. Just cutting down. You can't just like eliminate episodes. You have to rewrite now one through 10 so that it makes sense. So that was I guess the most challenging, but I do like working with limitations. I feel like in some places it didn't work out. And in other places, I feel like it only made our lives easier. And it also like helped to clarify things in the story. You win some, you lose them. How did you contain in your brain 12 episodes originally? What was the writing process? I write relatively quickly. Once I, I think what takes longer for me is like to have the idea. Mm-hmm. And then once I have the idea for me, it's like, just finish the draft. It's not going to be perfect. I really never try to make anything perfect. I try to like get it done. And I think that's helped me in life. So I also know that like everyone's going to have an opinion. There's going to be plenty of people giving me feedback. And so I would write some things like, I know what the scene is. I know where it starts, where it needs to end. Here we go. And then I'd send it to Aaron because he's a script editor. I've sent it to him. And, and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And it was just always perfect. So, <laughs> yeah. And also, like, we, there were some things that we found in rehearsals, that's too, the, where that's we That's what's nice adjusted. about being, it's a privilege, the fact that, like, I'm the creator and I'm also the actor. So, mm-hmm. like, when we were, do, I would just go sometimes just so we would, like, run lines in rehearsal. And if something didn't fit, I could change it. And I was like, wow, I feel bad for actors because you, a lot of times you get to a set and you just got to do what they told you to do. And you don't necessarily have the time to change things like, oh, this didn't work for me. And, and here they did. And that was really fun. Fun. And it was really nice for me because I felt like you let me have a voice sometimes too. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes no, I really sometimes appreciated it. And there are a lot of things also that you guys improvised on set that we've put into 
um, episodes, I feel. Like when I messed up Hebrew. That was yeah. hilarious. Well, she would rarely <laughs> mess it up, I must say. I must give this compliment. For someone who doesn't speak Hebrew. I was shocked. Oh, sorry. I was shocked by Marnina's Hebrew. I was like, I could not believe that she doesn't speak Hebrew. It's so fluent. Do you like, not? Not really. Now, okay. now you do. I mean, you know, I went to Tahia Day School with Gigi. Tahia. See, the the gringo in me is coming out. (laughs) But Gigi's partner also went to my day school. (laughs) Shout out to Steven. No, I mean, I I learned Hebrew. I was, in my mind, at the end of eighth grade, I was fluent in conversational Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And I thought when I got on the plane, I was like, and it's all going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. And then, and uh, I had only had, I only had like nine hours heads up that I needed to get on this plane to leave my life for three months. Because they were about <laughs> Sorry. to change. They said, <laughs> anybody who wants to come needs to leave in 24 hours. So we were like, hey, I could you get? And permission. she's like, well, I happened to have taken a COVID test already. So she just got on flight. I just sent her like a a, a message. At midnight. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That was, on hey, Instagram. Hey, you up? No. <laughs> hey, are you up? Yeah. Yeah, because they were like, okay, you have like. But they're closing nine the borders. Hours. You have. Maybe you need to. It was like in, in the middle of yeah. production. Yeah. Uh, we we're talking about meeting. like, yeah. And, and they were like, if Manina can get here, so you need a backup. Like mm-hmm. now. They started watching other people's tapes again. <gasps> Whoa. It was we almost I completely me. forgot. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was, it was really, we it was shocking because they were like, she's enough, that one. Yeah. And then I got, I almost like crashed on God. the floor. That's Thankfully, they didn't tell like, me until yeah, I got there. <laughs> now, I want to hear more about the post-production process because we have both editors here. What discoveries did you make along the way? Was there anything that was, like, that you like changed in terms of episode order? How was the story discovery process in post? We didn't change anything. We didn't switch any scenes between episodes. We did switch the order within the episode or sometimes we took out some scenes. Not a lot, I think, relatively speaking. And it was mostly because the the scene, like because we needed to speed up or because we wanted to get the specific part quicker. It was never like the scene is really not good and we're going to take it out. Discoveries. I was really shocked that some people said they don't like Khanshi. I was I was just shocked. I was just so shocked because I thought it was hilarious and she's so I mean I understood it but like I also once we heard that coming again and again we were like okay we were going to have to rely on the humor and on her charisma uh for people to get through episode 1 until like things are moving along quicker. Also I feel like episode 1 we've been editing for ever. ever. <laughs> yeah. Like we did, I think maybe four or five episodes in the same time that we just did episode one because it's the hardest one, I'm sure also for writing, but you need to give a lot of information. You also need to get people hooked on the story. You need to present them to the world. They need to like the characters. It's like a lot for one episode. So I feel like that one, that one was the hardest. We've also, that took us the longest time. It's such a great introduction to the character. The there's like a, a dream sequence, and then it immediately establishes what's going on and the the goal, <laughs> and then creates layers and tension. And it feels like it moves at such a quip, like a fast pace. And and I think it's rare to feel like a pilot doesn't hit you over the head with exposition. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't feel that way at all. So for one one gal's opinion. 
Do you want to say something? I agree. I feel like I feel like the show in general like doesn't talk down to the viewers ever. And like I think there's a lot of things. I think because the show tackles so many different types of identities and so many different like microcultures, no one person is gonna get every joke. Maybe Aliza. <laughs> Maybe Aliza gets every joke. But like it's there's so many specific little I don't know, like language things and like visual things and like what clothing someone's wearing or like there's so many little details and no, and it doesn't, it doesn't try to explain everything to the viewer. And I, I love that in a show. It's, it's hard to find a balance because you don't want to feel like someone's like forcing information. Like when you watch the first episode, I think is from what I've heard from everyone is always really hard because also you have the most amount of people who are saying something because mm. like the network was really nervous or people are going to like it. And a lot of it's in English and this is an Israeli show. Is it going to, are they going to watch it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, if I think like the new, the find the balance is, is and a lot of people just, not everyone's going to agree. Like yeah. you can please everyone. I also think that like, because you have Hanji and Noki and they're both like really strong characters and like they both have a really big role. And like to balance them out and to see like how their stories connect because they kind of in the beginning, they each go like a separate way, even though they're they live together for a while. But like it's like because they're hiding things from each other, like it's hard to like it was a little bit hard to find like how to balance them out exactly. And episode three, which I think is the first episode that really like cuts in between the two characters was a little bit hard to figure out like and to find a way to cut between the different storylines so they would affect each other and like would mean something about the other character as well and not only to drive forward the the specific character's story. Now, has the show come out in Israel? Yeah, it's about yes. to end. Oh my gosh, what's the reception? I'm so Amazing. Sorry, except they're, sca- they're, they're scaring <laughs> episode nine. <laughs> um, and there's 10 and 10. We're getting like a lot of great reviews. Yeah, we're the not reviews lying. reviews are really great, but I feel like and I'm so happy with it, but I feel like it's also people within our industry. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, what is the what do the masses say? Yeah. And on the street, when I leave the house, I have gotten positive feedback. I haven't gotten negative feedback. Negative feedback usually comes out on like Instagram, Twitter, Twitter Facebook. But a lot of people saying like, it's the best show I ever seen. <laughs> most of the negative comments I've seen, not that I understand most of the things I say. I'm like, see translation. Like that's my main button that I hit these days is see translation. Thank you, Google Translate. But for like, I think most- Not a sponsor. <laughs> most of the comments that are negative are just people who assume that it's this either like a sex comedy, like that's like fetishizing this- religious girl which it's not like it's seen like you know people just assuming things that it's another unorthodox but it's not like it's people are just jumping to conclusions a lot with the show without having seen I mean nobody's seen all 10 episodes yet (laughs) and I think like it really the show really rewards you for sticking it out all the way to the end of the first season because like that's when you find out like why Hanshi is the intense person that she is. Well, I I think of like female-driven stories that have come out in the past couple of years that have also been present at Sundance. So Promising Young Woman was here in 2020 and listening to the director and writer of that show, Emerald Fresnel or something like that, she, (laughs) uh, like there are people who 
specifically men who would turn to her, who turned to her after and they're like, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> and, and so I think it actually, it comes with the territory to have such a strong story that is driven from the female perspective that a lot of people won't get it. And I think that it, because of that, it speaks to other people so much more. One thing that was interesting that you highlighted was it's an Israeli show in with a lot of English in it, but yeah. watching it as like, what am I? American? A goy. A goy. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> a goy? Yeah. And, I'm going. I'm leaving. And an American. Mm-hmm. I was like, this felt like a very, I, I thought this was a, I, I felt like this is made for a Western audience too, oh. like, or an American audience too. And I, and I was telling Marnina that I, there's some specific networks that I'm like, I can see this show being on so I can't wait to see do you know people on the networks <laughs> I don't oh so but what's it <laughs> I did I worked last summer for local time which is Lulu Wong and Danny Melia's production company and they made The Farewell which oh, was it's Love. a great film and it is a but it is an American film yeah. spoken in mostly Chinese yeah. and and is, it didn't yeah. do well in, in China this feels like th- not that this feels like it is this feels like it's going to do well everywhere in the world. Exactly, exactly. So buyers, everyone wants a piece. Beware, of yeah. beware, beware for the, the bidding beware. price. No, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I, I want it to be. Honestly, like I was surprised. I, I was worried that it wouldn't hit in Israel because to me, it felt like a show that was so exactly for American Jews. Like I know American Jews are already loving it. Those who've seen some of it, like. And and I was just like, wow, Israelis get this. Yeah. <laughs> and and now like hearing that like non-Jews, non-Israelis are also like really connecting with the show just because it's so it's so specific and that's what makes it universal. One of those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, what advice do you have for folks who are getting started and want to enter the episodic storytelling space? Believe in yourself. Yeah. Never st- Take no for an answer. <laughs> never take notes. Never take, <laughs> never take notes for an answer. Yeah. Never take notes for an answer. It's not an answer. No, I have, I, I, if somebody asked me previously this question for something else and I tried to come up with like tactless practical things. What did I say? What I Something I, about it not Oh, I said finish the draft. Finish the oh, draft. Oh, and I said, don't try to write a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. For like, I think it's like for me, what helps is like when I finally get through the nerves of like trying to write something that people will like. It was like, well, what's going to be fun for me to like keep writing and mm-hmm. what entertains me? But I don't know anything about the industry in America. I think for me, the fact that the industry in Israel is small and I went to film school with like people who work in the industry that already gave me a leg up. And I don't know how people do it in America. Good luck. Sorry. <laughs> move to Israel and get your show made. <laughs> we have listeners all over the world. So Okay. Well, see, I moved to Israel. I think, actually, the, the notes thing, I want to say something. No, because we, we got a lot of notes from the, the people of Hot. They sent it to other creators or like advisors or like a lot of people. And I, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a conflict to get notes because you, you you don't know how much you want to jeopardize some stuff you because to learn of how one to filter. person. Yeah, and we, and make mis- and I made mistakes. There's things that I filter. Yeah, and I sh- 
Yeah. But I, I think like we had, we were lucky because, and I think this is my tip. I think like you should find other people you can really count on. Yeah. You can really trust their sense of style and yeah, their, what, taste. What's the word? their taste. Thank you. And because I think we were like three people or you were two in the beginning and I was like an outside advisor sometimes. Yeah. I think these two were yeah, advisors too. And you were also... <laughs> I think it like it really helped because then you know what you should like screen, yes, f- like what you should filter out and what you should like. Yeah, you should and, listen to. And also, I right. think I think that the notes sometimes. Okay, that's my tip. Sometimes it's not the note itself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just it's just the place you need to pay attention to. Sometimes you, sometimes someone will say something about a scene, and it'll be like a stupid note. Like we got a lot of those. But but we we can't. Then another mark. one, another person will say like, "There's something about this scene." Yeah, then and see it's like, about and you need to you kind of spot the the, the note behind. Yeah, you, no, spot the scene or like the what's what's the part that makes also, someone say something and just you find your solution. Work with your best friend and your husband. Yeah, and maybe don't let your husband edit sex scenes. <laughs> did he edit sex? No, no, he didn't. He did nine and ten. Just so, the shower I'm scene. Spo- I'm spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have sex on this sexy show. Yeah, I must say, calling it such a sexy, sexy show, and yeah. I feel like the sex scenes are intentionally uncomfortable and weird and bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my feeling. Yeah, someone wrote me like, "I'm so glad that the sex scenes are like." Kind of clumsy. They're like with clothes. No, yeah, no one's on. I heard of someone and she masturbated to. Oh, really? Congratulations! That's the biggest critic. Which which one? Four. Five. In five. Ooh. Too huge. Have to wait and see. I know. Well, I'm hoping that I can. Somebody will slip me the link so I can finish watching. Not anyone in this room. No. But this on the poster, we're gonna put like the the. I think the. The quote will be, I masturbated. <laughs> you should. You should. <laughs> well, thank you all so much thank for you. being on the podcast. Thank um, you. Thank you. Would you mind just like quickly going around saying your names again and where people can follow your work? Oh, my God. Okay. My name is Mickey Trieste and my Instagram is like Trieste. How do you say? Trieste, Trieste underscore. underscore M. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Aaron Geva. And my Instagram is full with shit. <laughs> it's just the, the stupidest place. But okay. Uh, yeah, Aaron Geva. But uh, I think I think we have a page on Facebook <laughs> of it's our called, production team, quote unquote. You mean the Cohen sisters? Yeah, yes. we call it <laughs> Miki Geva Productions. Yeah. It's an Israeli joke. But uh, all of our stuff are there, except of the show, which we can't legally. Melissa <laughs> Chanowitz, and you can send me an email. <laughs> I love that. You have Facebook. I saw that you're not. I do on. have Facebook, but I don't really post things. No, just randos a- shouldn't be adding you on Facebook. They do. They- oh well, I haven't accepted. I'm overwhelmed. I had a baby. <laughs> Adi. Adi Vishnia, Marninashan.com. <laughs> we support the website. We su- we love the website. Dana, I have mostly. Dog photos on Instagram, but it's DL Peleg if anyone's into dogs. I'm sorry. Teacher Instagram. These. I try. Aaron's my tutor. Yeah. And I'm 
Marnina Shown, and it's at Marnina Shown. Or you can go to my website. Thank you. Thank you so much. And And thank you. So thank you for being here. And thank you to our listeners for listening. You can like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on the web at nofilmschool.com. Right after you finish browsing marninashone.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and send questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. Thanks for listening. What about Sarah Rose? She didn't Bye. say Oh, Sarah Rose. Follow her. Sarah Rose. all right well that is selling tv shows this week where can we find everybody on the social i'm only on mastodon what about you guys i am on social media at lost in graceland and you can follow my work at ggHawkins.com. And I'm at Jason Hellerman on Instagram and Twitter. Send me your horrible pitch stories. I'll tell you about one where someone went, that's just the end of the first act and stood up. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's many other ones out there. If we do a war stories, a war story like exchange, I'll tell you my, my worst pitch, my worst <laughs> pitch ever. Yeah. I, the worst pitch ever could be a great one. I have another one where a guy went like, I don't believe in revenge. And I was like, oh, well, this is a revenge movie. So <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that one only oh. lasted five minutes and he was like why don't why would you finish let's just each go about our days i was like okay and I just, <laughs> it was the pitch was so, done so quickly that when i went out to validate my parking the assistant was like you won't even need validation it was still in the, <laughs> the window of Gosh. everything and i was like but right. i mean like yeah. you but the the truth is you did need validation in that moment just not for your parking yeah. exactly oh. yeah that was a real we'll hug. validate you right here, Jason. Uh, hug my dog, Evan. Yeah, but yeah, at Jason Ellerman, send him in. You know, validate Jason. Yeah, validate me. Pitch wisely. Yeah.